When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode of the Big Pop Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. If you're looking to install some new windows or a new door, a great place to start with Pella is their showroom. It helps to sometimes actually see the windows and see the doors, open them, close them, to get a better feel for exactly what you're going to be installing in your house. The showrooms are really, really cool. they got showrooms in Omaha and in Lincoln, so go check them out. Or you can check Pella out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. I just love it when I when I log on to Twitter.com and I get tweets like this. Cody tweeted at me and said, hit up the Runza super secret menu today. Had pickles put on my Runza. Who'd have thought? Thanks, Nick. Love it, Cody. Just love it, man. You need to take advantage of the super secret menu because you realize you can put anything within reason on a Runza sandwich. You want pickles like Cody? Go for it. You want ranch? Go for it. You want pepper jack cheese? Go for it. Because every Runza starts as an original Runza sandwich, so you can add anything in the kitchen within reason onto your Runza sandwich and make it your own and make it delicious. So get out to Runza today and give it a try. Runza makes it all better. Okay, welcome back into the podcast. I apologize. I'll just get this out of the way for how I sound. I have been battling a cold for a few days. Uh, Parents certainly know how... This can be, it, it started with my five-year-old daughter getting a cold, and you go, oh boy, and then my 10-month-old son got it, he got a cold, and you're like, oh God, and let me tell you, trying to steer clear of germs when you're taking care of a 10-month-old, good luck with that, good luck with that, because you get every body fluid known to man on you when you're taking care of a 10-month-old, poop, pee, snot, drool, everything, so naturally... I got the cold, and uh, so I'm sorry for how I sound, and hopefully I make it through this pod because I think it's a pretty darn good one, and uh, I, I got a, on the pod today, so I, I got a lot of good reaction to my first Take-A-Palooza pod. Uh, it's kind of a stupid name, but I kind of love it. I recorded a few weeks ago, so I wanted to fire another one up. So usually when I do these solo pods, you know, I either do a mailbag pod or I do something that I was into doing something called Three Topics in 30 Minutes, in 30 minutes but I wanted to kind of switch it up and try something I idiotically named Take-A-Palooza, where this allows me to kind of get into more topics, silly, uh, pop culture, TV, music, and of course, a ton of sports. And it kind of all just starts with kind of, I open up a Word document and I start just kind of writing down thoughts and topics on a variety of different things. And before you know it, this time I ended up writing 17, almost 18 pages on about 11 or 12 different topics. Uh, it, it's it's great. It's almost like a little like therapy session for me. So let's do it, man. Buckle up, sit back. It's officially Take a Palooza 2.0. Here we go. First topic to dive into. So you know, I've been in the uh, God. I've been in the media now for about twelve years, and it's crazy. I think it's been that long since two thousand nine is when kind of my media career began with Schick and Nick. But I'm. You know, I'm, I'm far from perfect. I don't have anything figured out with like, this is the, this is how you do it. This is how you do that. But I think I'm, I'm, 
I think I'm figuring it out. You know, like I'm getting better every day, you know, from Shikinick in 2009 to my stint in, in Lincoln at 93.7, the ticket to my solo radio show, Game Time on 1620 The Zone, I did for about seven years, to doing national Fox Sports radio uh, on the weekends for about a year. And I've been obviously calling college basketball and national TV for about seven years. So now doing my own podcast, I feel like I've learned a lot at all those different stops. And, and some of the things I've learned are as follows. Be fair, be respectful, be measured, and if new information presents itself, be flexible to change your opinion on something. If new information presents itself, be flexible to change your opinion. And then the last one I've always had this saying, and save your bullets. Like, pick and choose the times to really turn on the microphone and, and you know, let someone have it. You know, have that quote-unquote hot take. Pick and choose your times. Because if you do it every day, people kind of go, yeah, all right. This dude's just screaming. But what, what, what drives me nuts in consuming media at times is when I think media members aren't being fair, they aren't being respectful, and then even in the face of new information, they won't budge on their opinion. Right? They, they just dig their heels in even more. Now, don't get me wrong, I wish I had, I wish I had their paychecks, and I, get, I guess I respect their willingness to put themselves out there. But people like Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith and even Rob Parker, who's on Fox Sports Radio, just commit a lot of the sins that I see that I kind of just laid out, right? Rob Parker has this thing. He calls Tom, Tom Brady the loat, the luckiest of all time. You know, he comes up with that and just has kind of stuck with it even after Brady beat Kansas City and Mahomes in the AFC title, then beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. And then this year, Brady goes to Tampa Bay, wins another Super Bowl, still stands by it. It's like, okay, come on, man. Stephen A. Smith just screams about everyone and everything. I've always thought Stephen A. Smith is, he's more so a WWF character than a real person to me. And then, you know, someone like Skip Bayless and his just like irrational disdain for LeBron, even in the face of championships and coming through in big spots, he, he just continues to treat him with such disrespect that there, and there's just this like refusal to evolve his opinion on the guy, even with new information and data to consider. In some ways, Skip Bayless still views LeBron like it's 2008 and he's still in Cleveland. Like he hasn't won four championships. Like he hasn't been a finals MVP four different times. Like he hasn't hit numerous clutch shots in big spots. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's almost like the same talking points from 2008. And, and it just, I, I don't know, I don't get it. I can go on and on, but you get my point. Which brings me to, uh, to Nebraska football and how they were treated by the national media last fall from a variety of different media members. You know, Paul Feinbaum, Desmond Howard, Pat Forty, Michael Wilbon. I felt were, the, those individuals in particular were over the top. They lacked respect. And they were a little unfair in their criticism about Nebraska and their desires to publicly state that they want to play fo- football last fall. I mean, Desmond Howard and Michael Wilbon suggested that the Big Ten kick Nebraska out of the conference for wanting to try and play a season. Pat Forty wrote scathing columns uh, ripping Nebraska for not, quote, falling in line and doing what the Big Ten conference has decided upon. Well, as it turned out, Nebraska wasn't alone in their desire to try to play football last fall even after the Big Ten initially canceled the season. In text messages, 
uncovered from you know the Freedom of Information Act between the Ohio State President Christina Johnson and Ohio State's Athletic Director Gene Smith, Ohio State was trying, just like Nebraska was, to potentially go independent for a season and play football. There are a lot of different text messages, but this is the big one. This is Gene Smith, or this is this is from Christina Johnson, the Ohio State president, texting Gene Smith. Any way to go independent, she says. Gene Smith, the AD, says, quote, I'm in a text message, I'm trying to understand our contracts and if we can play independent this year. Nebraska is trying and gone public with it. Well, isn't that interesting? Ohio State admits themselves they were acting just like Nebraska. So even though this won't happen, in the spirit of the few things that I've learned that I laid out, being fair and when new information is found, be willing to come to a different conclusion, right? New information allowing to, a, to come to a new opinion on something. I do, I do think people like Michael Wilbon, Desmond Howard, Pat Forty either owe Nebraska an apology or should say all the scathing things they said about Nebraska about Ohio State. Pardon my French, but it's bullshit that Nebraska got treated like they did last fall for just wanting to play football. I talked about this last fall, but never mind the enormous sexual abuse cover-ups at Penn State and Michigan and Michigan State and even Ohio State. Those didn't call for, for different national pundits to say they, those institutions need to be kicked out of the Big Ten. But Nebraska wanting to play football, that's a bridge too far. Now you got to get out of the conference. And this whole narrative that got created that Nebraska was trying to leave the Big Ten, no, they weren't. I think people like that whole ind- that 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 term in- go independent. Ohio State used it. Gene Smith used it in his text message. You heard people like go independent for a year, right? Nobody was trying to leave a conference for good. Nebraska and Ohio State they were trying to find a way to play a season in a one year scenario. That's it. So again, I get it. I've been in the media for twelve years. You sit behind a microphone. You're asked to give strong opinions on things. You're going to fire some, some hot takes. You are. I don't got any problem with that. But when it's daily and over the top, Skip and Stephen A., or when it's not fair or respectful, Pat Forty, or when you are presented with new information and don't use it to either add to your opinion or change it, Michael Wilbon, Desmond Howard, that's when it's BS in my opinion. Nebraska got crushed last fall in the media. Ohio State was doing the exact same thing. Nobody says a word. That is frustrating and unfortunate. All right, next topic. Probably TMI here, too much information here, but hey, whatever. It's kind of what I do. When I go down to my pod room, I feel like I'm just talking to myself. So about, God, I mean, a bit of two months ago, about two months ago, I was having a rough day with, with the kids at home, five-year-old, 10-month-old. Anyone who's a parent knows kind of what I'm talking about. It was just kind of one thing after another with each kid, right? And like an idiot, I ended up getting into it with my wife over something stupid because I was pissed off about how my day with the kids went, right? 
and I can remember right before I got into it with my wife. I had this moment, a literal moment, where I stopped. And the little voice in my head said, you really going to do this? You really going to fire, fire this up and fight? And you know what? 99% of the time, I swallow it and don't say anything or escalate it. Honestly, I think that's some sneaky good advice for, for marriage. It's funny. As I'm taping this, it's June 1st. It's my, it's my eight-year wedding anniversary with my wife. You know how you hear at weddings? You know how you hear the saying, never go to bed upset. Never go to bed angry. You know you hear that from like best man speeches or, or mainly maid of honor speeches or whatever? Don't never go to bed angry. Never go to bed upset. That, that advice is complete bullshit. Go to bed upset. Because 99% of the time, you're going to wake up and realize that what you were upset about was nothing. So here's some advice to, to married people listening to this. Go to bed upset. Go to bed angry. Go to bed mad. Which is really kind of saying, pick and choose your battles wisely. Not everything that upsets you is worth verbalizing and escalating. Not everything that upsets you is worth verbalizing and escalating. Which brings me to the Oklahoma Athletic Director and the statement about the kickoff time for the Nebraska-Oklahoma game. The Oklahoma Athletic Director Joe Castiglione released a statement on May 27th. This is a statement from the university. After it was announced that Nebraska and Oklahoma would kick off at 11 a.m. Central Time, he said, and I quote, here just reading from the statement, we are bitterly disappointed that the great Oklahoma-Nebraska rivalry on the 50th anniversary of the game of the century will kick off at 11 a.m. We tried every possible avenue to proactively make our case. The Big 12 Conference also supported our strenuous efforts to secure a more traditional time that would honor this game and our fans. However, in the end, our TV partner chose to exercise its full contractual rights and denied our requests. Okay. I can totally get Oklahoma being upset about the kickoff time. I can understand that. You're upset about that. But to verbalize it in a university release statement, wow. Again, not all that upsets you is worthy of expressing it publicly. And a kickoff time? A kickoff time? Has there ever been in the history of athletic departments at the major collegiate level, has there ever been a scathing statement released being upset about a kickoff time? A kickoff time. And to use the phrase, bitterly disappointed. I mean, wow. So when I saw that, my first thought was, wow, I can't believe they actually released a statement about this. Like, I'm surprised that enough people in the Oklahoma Athletic Department were like, yep, this is worthy of a scathing statement. Let it rip. Let's post it. There wasn't one person in the Athletic Department that went, hold on, Joe, real quick. Are we sure? Like, it's just a kickoff time, man. I get that we wanted to maybe have time to do some different things to honor the the 50th anniversary and and for our season ticket 
season ticket base and all that stuff. But really, a statement? We, we're going to release that statement. We're bitterly disappointed. We were disappointed, but we wanna, we wanna, we're going to make a statement about it. I'm just surprised. No one, no one said, are we really doing this? It's amazing to me. And, you know, it also comes off a little disingenuous as well for a variety of reasons. First of all, in, in the statement, you're a, a more traditional time to honor the game of the century. Well, I mean, actually, I mean, the Nebraska-Oklahoma games were almost always played in the afternoon. So in the spirit of tradition, this is actually honoring it. Poor choice of words. Second thing, you enter into a TV contract and you cash that check. A big one, by the way. You are at the mercy of your television partner on that stuff. That's just life and business. Oftentimes, contracts come with sacrifices that make it so certain things benefit you, but also make it so certain things are out of your control and aren't your decisions. Right? That's the give and take of a contract. You cash a big check, that's great. But guess what? The people that write that check, Fox, ESPN, Big Ten Network, whoever, the people that write that check, they write you a check. So that gives them a seat at the table for decisions that they deem best for them. Let's not act like we don't know how this works. Which leads me to my third point that I'm sure Oklahoma knows and understands. Fox College Football has made a smart move in trying to own the 11 a.m. Central Time, noon Eastern Time window during college football season. They built their pregame show and lineup of games around it, calling it Big Noon Kickoff. And guess what? It's worked. They've owned that time slot and made their mark in the college football TV landscape with it. In fact, five of the 10 most watched games in 2019 were at 11 a.m. Central Time, including two Oklahoma games. All this is knowledge that Oklahoma knows and has to understand. So this just all seemed like a weird, silly, stupid fight to pick. And I thought it was a bad look for Oklahoma and the athletic director. Certainly not as bad of a look as Nebraska trying to get out of the game altogether a few months ago. Yikes. But still, a bad, bad, bad look. All right, next topic. Sticking with Nebraska. So, you know, Paul Feinbaum of ESPN, he, he was uh, he made some comments about Scott Frost in Nebraska uh, about a week or so ago. And I want to unpack uh, a few of them. He, he first of all, he Paul Feinbaum put Scott Frost on the hot seat. The hot seat. Which, you know, I, I suppose people can can have different views on this. I disagree with that. I certainly understand it's been it's not gone well, right? Twelve and twenty through three years, no bowl game appearances, the the offense has regressed, all not good. But I don't think Scott Frost is on the hot seat right now. I re- I really really don't. Obviously, anything is possible in life and in sports, but I just it would take a monumental collapse this season 
of winning, I don't even know, two, three games and getting their doors blown off consistently for any sort of legit hot seat firing topic to be real. And I don't think that happens this year. I actually am cautiously optimistic about this team. I suppose that's, we'll dive deeper into that into another podcast. I need to get Bo Rude back in here, get a wine pod, and we'll go over the, the, the over-under that was released for Nebraska of six wins. We'll get into that. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go onto Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella, won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. But so I don't think the hot seat stuff is real. But the other thing Paul Feinbaum said was this. He was asked about... Nebraska getting back to what it once was in the mid-90s. And here was his quote. He said, quote, I don't think they can. I did when Frost got there because, to me, he was the coach of the future. Sometimes you've just missed your moment. Nebraska is a lot like these software companies or computer companies of the 90s. They just never change. Or the entertainment companies of the last 10 years that said streaming, nobody cares about that. I actually think... The exact opposite of what Paul Feinbaum just said is true. Like, I disagree with, like, everything he said in that. Mainly his justification. Whether that thing can get back to the 90s, like, that, that conversation's just, like, a dumb one to begin with. Like, let's get, let's get Nebraska back to where they're, like, going to bowl games consistently, competing for their side of the division before we talk about the mid-90s where they were, like, I mean, one of the all-time greatest college football dynasties, right? Like, let's, let's slow down that. So, like, that, to me, that's so far down the road, I'm not even, like, I'm more so talking about his explanation on Nebraska. Again, he says, Nebraska's like a lot of these software companies or commuter companies of the 90s. They just never change. Or in the entertainment companies of the last 10 years that said streaming, nobody cares about that. I actually think, if anything, Nebraska has tried to change too much. If anything, Nebraska deviated from what was working in an effort to evolve with the times when they should have just stayed true to who they were and what worked. I feel like a lot of people want to paint Nebraska football like their blockbuster video and the rest of college football is Netflix. Like Nebraska is blockbuster and they refuse to evolve to Netflix. And that's just, that's not how I see it at all. Nebraska hasn't refused to evolve or change. They turned their back on what was working and then changed too much. Analogy time. 
I don't know if this works. I, I was trying to think of the right analogy here, but I think this. I think you'll understand what I'm getting at. I want you to think about Gatorade for a second. So o- over the past 20 or so years, Gatorade has evolved and changed a bit, right? Like they've expanded it into, into other product lines like protein bars, protein shakes, energy gummies, recovery mixes, and then certainly a bunch of different flavors and types of Gatorade, right? But in the midst of that evolution, in the midst of those changes, they never lost sight or deviated away from what made Gatorade successful. And that is Gatorade, the simple drink. Lemon, lime, red, orange, Gatorade. Beyond anything else, that is Gatorade, the company, right? The sports drink. It's not the protein bars. It's not the shakes. It's Gatorade, the drink. Now, imagine if Gatorade, in the midst of their expansion and evolution, went away from Gatorade, the drink. They just really went all in on protein bars and shakes and gummies, energy mixes, all this stuff. Not good, right? Not smart. That would be turning your back on what made you successful. To tie it back to Nebraska, their issues, in my opinion, that's kind of what Nebraska did. They turned their back on the core of what made them successful in the name of evolving and chasing the future. Nebraska had a winning core product, a winning core culture, a winning core brand, a winning core way of doing things. And they just threw it all away. So it's, to me, actually the complete opposite to what Paul Feinbaum said, in my opinion. It's not their unwillingness to involve and, and change like Paul Feinbaum suggests. It's been too much change and changing the wrong things. The idea that Nebraska has refused to change is laughable. Laughable. They've literally, Nebraska has literally ran every single offense you can in the past 20 years. Think about it. They went from option to West Coast to spread to pro style and not back to spread. Defensively, they've ran 4-3, they've ran 3-4. Even types of coaches, they've hired NFL coaches with NFL backgrounds. They've hired a defensive-minded coach. They've hired an offensive-minded coach. This idea that Nebraska has refused to evolve or change is absurd. It's absurd. They've changed way too much. I mean, honestly, I don't know how you would even look this up, but I, I have a hard time imagining any power conference program has had more change than Nebraska has over the course of the last 20 years. I have a hard time imagining any power conference program has had more head coaches, more athletic directors, more coordinators, more position coaches, tried more styles and systems than Nebraska has in the past two decades. Nebraska had a winning formula. And they crumpled it up and they threw it in the trash to try to unnecessarily change the formula. There's a difference between evolving and positively changing with the times and altering your core and changing everything completely. One is good and necessary. The other, if you had a successful solid foundation and core and plan, is bad. All right, next topic. So, uh, switching gears to Creighton basketball for a second. So, Creighton got a huge commitment a few weeks ago. And huge in more ways than one. Arthur Kaluma, 
6'8 forward from Arizona, signed with Creighton. He's in the class of 2021. Four-star prospect, ranked 46th in ESPN's 2021 recruiting rankings, making him the highest-ranked Creighton recruit in the history of ESPN rankings, which started back in 2007. So, you know, his commitment was huge because of how talented of a player he is, top 50 player in the country, but his commitment was also huge because of the fact that he is the first black player to sign with Creighton after the locker room comments from Greg McDermott that made national headlines in late February. Like, let's just, let's, let's, let's be honest with each other for a second. Let's address the elephant in the room. Let's stop dancing around it. The elephant in the room, for me at least, has been given the comments from Greg McDermott using the term plantation in the locker room at Xavier. How was he going to do on the recruiting trail with black players? I mean, I think we are all wondering that, right? I talked about this on my last take of Palooza. I, I talked about it had been really quiet on the recruiting front for Creighton outside of signing the Division II transfer, Ryan Hawkins, who is white. And it, you know, obviously that was a little unsettling if you're a Creighton fan in terms of just how quiet everything had been. And I talked about this with Dirk Chatlin in my pod. I think time has a way of healing a lot of different things and the dust will eventually settle on all of this. But in the meantime, those comments from Greg McDermott were just an easy reason for Creighton to get crossed off the list for a lot of black recruits. It just it just were. You're sitting there, you got Louisville, you got Marquette, you got Creighton, you got Michigan, you got Alabama. It's just easy to go, uh, Creighton, let's, no, let's cross them off. That's just the reality of the situation. I'm not saying that's how it's always going to be. I don't think that's how it's always going to be. So the signing of Arthur Kaluma has a big significance in my opinion. First of all, again, great player. But he's the first black player after all this stuff to sign with Creighton and say, I want to go play for Greg McDermott. That's huge. That's huge. Huge for Creighton in more ways than one. By the way, the coaches are fired up for this dude. And you you watch his highlights, man. Does he... He jumps off the screen. I uh, urge everybody, go, go just watch some, some highlight clips of this dude. I mean, he pops off the screen. Really talented. Versatile. Again, 6'8". He looks like an elite athlete. He's got a pretty good-looking shooting stroke. He's going to get, get in the lane off the bounce. He's very active defensively. He's an exciting player who I think is going to see a lot of time next year. And, you know, he's kind of a three or a four. You could play him on the wing or you could play him at the four. And that four spot is kind of open right now. Because you think about the front line, Kalkbrenner is going to start at the five, and he is only a five. You can't play Kalkbrenner at the four. I mean, he's a seven-footer, old-school kind of back-to-the-basket guy. And you don't really have any established returning player who is exclusively a four. I suppose if you want, you could slide Antoine Jones to the four and play small, but he's kind of more of a wing to me. So between Kaluma and Ryan Hawkins and Mason Miller, you got three incoming kids that can can play the four, as well as Modestus Kenslaris, the six eight forward from Lithuania, who redshirted this past year because of a knee injury. So Creighton's going to have options at that spot now, and I certainly think Kaluma will factor into that position in a major, major, major way. So a huge pickup for the Blue Jays in a on a variety of levels. Next topic, as we're hammering through Take a Palooza 2.0. So I've come to the realization 
that my priority list of sports or sporting events that I, I love to watch are as follows. I'll give you my top four. NCAA tournament, any Nebraska football game, any Creighton basketball game, and then the NBA playoffs, the all of the playoffs. Those would be my top four. And the way I looked at it was like if I couldn't watch the event, like for whatever reason you like you threw me in a hole somewhere, in a cave somewhere, and I couldn't watch any any of the NCAA tournament, any Nebraska football games, any Creighton basketball games, any of the NBA playoffs. Like how much would it bother me? For those four, it would I would be distraught. The top four are by far and away the the highest for me. If I couldn't watch those four things, I, I'd, it'd be like a meltdown for me. Everything else, like, I like, but I wouldn't be as upset, right? Don't get me wrong. I like the NFL playoffs and the college football playoff. I mean, I like them and I watch them, but it doesn't have a grip on me like the those those others do. I'm, you know, I'm a a little different in the sense that I, I'm more of a I'm more of a college football guy than an NFL guy. I'll take a good Saturday of football over a good Sunday 100% of the time. But I think the reason that is because it all correlates back to Nebraska football in a weird way. Like when when Nebraska didn't play when Nebraska when the, you know the Big 12 and the SEC and the ACC were playing and Nebraska wasn't, I found myself less interested in watching those other college football teams because Nebraska wasn't playing. Like I, I like to core everything comes back to my to my love for Nebraska football. You know, I've said this before. I thought I was a golf fan. I thought I liked watching golf, but I found out that I'm really just a Tiger fan. Like if Tiger is involved, I'm not watching. I'm just not. But the reason I lay that out is the fact that the NBA playoffs makes that list for me. But again, you know how it is. Like you can't help what you like. You can't help what moves you emotionally. And you can't help what truly bothers you if you don't see it. And for me, the NBA playoffs are 1,000% in that category for me. I am hooked. I am locked in from start to finish, which is honestly kind of pain, kind of a pain in the ass. It kind of Because it's every night for two months. I mean, every night for two months. There's a big, that's a lot. You're like, oh, God, got games again tonight. Got games tomorrow. Okay, when's the Lakers play? All right, God, okay, we, Sixers are tomorrow. And then, not to mention, the, the Western Conference playoff games have me staying up way later than I want to. It's brutal. And so far, in watching the playoffs, I think one of my biggest, broadest takeaways is how blown away I am with the young talent in the NBA. Watching these young stars in the league, it's just been incredible so far, from Jason Tatum to Luka Doncic to Trey Young to John Morant, even guys like Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell, who aren't completely young, but are both under 25. I mean, Tatum had 50 against Brooklyn in a win. Trey Young is absurdly skilled and hit a game-winner inside of Madison Square Garden that was foaming at the mouth. Ja Morant had 47 against Utah. And Luka, I mean, it's laughable how good he's been. Dude has been dismantling the Clippers. Because I always get, as a as an NBA playoff and NBA lover, like I always get worried about the torch getting passed in the NBA to the next group of stars, right? And when Magic and Bird are done, having MJ to carry it. And then when Jordan is done, having Kobe carry it. And then when Kobe's done, having LeBron and Steph carry it. And so on and so on. 
because other sports are different. Like the star of the NFL is the NFL. The NFL isn't dependent on superstars to completely move the needle. Right? Like, don't get me wrong, Peyton Manning and, and Tom Brady and Patrick Holmes matter. But, you know, when, when those guys leave, ratings don't crater. The NBA is different. It's a star-driven league. Some of the biggest American pop culture celebrities are NBA players. It just isn't like that in the NFL or for Major League Baseball. The NBA's relevance and popularity, especially given the shift in player mobility, relies on the players themselves. The NBA is only as good as its stars. And with LeBron James getting older, and then you know guys like Durant and Kawhi and, and Russell Westbrook and James Harden and Chris Paul and Damian Lillard and Steph, Steph Curry all getting older too, the torch is eventually going to get passed on. And all I got to say is, in watching the first round so far, the league is in good hands with these young stars. Ja, Tatum, Luka, Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell, Booker, Jokic, Giannis, Embiid, even a guy like Zion who isn't in the playoffs. These guys are remarkable. I mean, they are remarkable talents. And it's going to be fun to watch them grow and evolve. And it's been fun to watch the playoffs so far. Next topic, because again, I said I'm, t- I'm taping this. It's it's Tuesday, June first, and it is reported. You know, last night, uh, Joel Embiid left the game with a with a knee strain, and the Sixers lost. It's reported that Anthony Davis won't play in Game Five after hurting his groin. I'm now starting to think that my Lakers plus five hundred to win the NBA title bet is in trouble. I bet on that. Because without Anthony Davis, it ain't happening. And a groin is a tough one, especially for a guy like Anthony Davis, who is hurt a lot. But I was thinking about my bet that likely won't come through now and the Lakers plus 500 to win the title. I mean, I'm not sure they get past the Suns now. Especially because LeBron doesn't look quite right. He's still amazing, but he's still, he's, he paces himself more than he... He's always kind of been a guy that, that conserves his energy at a really high level, but he he plays in spurts now. It's hard for him to give him give you a like 43 minutes of hard LeBron level basketball. He, he'll, he'll give you a, a two minute spurt here, a three minute spurt here. But I was thinking about my bet that likely won't come through now. And, and how often in recent history, injuries decide a title. And just how often we neglect arguably the biggest factor in who ends up standing and hoisting the trophy in a variety of different sports. Health. I mean, if you just go through the last handful of NBA champs, you know, 2015, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love got hurt. I actually think with those guys, the Cavs would have won that series. I mean, hell, guys, the Cavs still pushed Golden State to six games without them. 2018, Chris Paul's hamstring pull. Or the Rockets would have beat the Golden State Warriors, in my opinion. 2019, Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson both get hurt. Otherwise, Golden State would have won again. Instead, the Toronto Raptors win. Last year, the bubble was just kind of bizarre, right? And I heard uh, I heard someone make this point. I'm not Colin Coward. That the bubble actually helped the Lakers because it allowed Anthony Davis to take a few months to get healthy before kind of the stretch run of the playoffs. And now this year, Anthony Davis's injury likely derails the Lakers' titles hopes. I mean, you never know, but... It, Safe to say. 
I guess it's just so interesting how we discount in sports. I shouldn't say discount. We just kind of don't have it be top of mind. Expanding even beyond just the NBA playoffs. It's amazing how much we discount arguably the most important factor in all of this. Staying healthy. Staying healthy. Sticking with the NBA for a second, I want to talk about the Brooklyn Nets for just a, a, a sec because there's a bunch of different angles with them. First of all, I, I was sitting and watching the first two Knicks playoff games on TV, and Madison Square Garden was just on fire. I mean, it honestly was like everyone, as they walked into Madison Square Garden, was given a line of Coke, five Red Bull vodkas, and a five-hour energy before they got to their seat. I mean, the arena was nuts. And I was watching that, and I'm just loving it, right? But I'm watching that, and I thought about the Nets and how and, and Durant and Kyrie Irving and James Harden. Three of the biggest super-duper stars in the world are playing across town. And seemingly in that town, nobody cares. To that level, right? Like, I get that they don't play for the, for the fan love and all that, but I wonder what that is like for them. I mean, this is a team with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. And it's the team with Julius Randle and 32-year-old Derrick Rose and R.J. Barrett that runs New York City. I just, I wonder deep down inside what that is like for those three guys. For Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. Imagine being the absolute best in the world at something. And in your own city, you are second by a, a pretty large margin. I mean, did you see... Those games in Madison Square Garden. Did you see the videos outside of Madison Square Garden after game two in the Knicks won? Fans were like, they act like they won a championship. They're chanting Julius Randle going absolutely bonkers in the streets in New York City. Meanwhile, you watch a Brooklyn game. The atmosphere is pretty blah. There's no hardcore fan base. It all feels a little hollow. I just found that interesting. And listen, I can't say I'm shedding any tears for the Nets, right? I'll be honest for a second. I try not to let my feelings get too wrapped up with with some of this stuff. But I'll be honest with you guys. I mean, I respect how good Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden are. But they are three of the most unlikable players in the league to me. I hated watching James Harden with the Rockets. I thought thought the Houston Rockets, I thought they were bad for the game of basketball. I didn't like how Harden quit on Houston this year. I find Kyrie Irving to be extremely unlikable on a variety of levels. I still think it's laughable how he wanted to be traded away from LeBron. I, I'm just, I'm not a, I've never been a huge Durant fan. I think he's an unbelievable talent. Just never been a huge Durant fan. I think his, his decision to join Golden State still doesn't sit well with me. I mean, his team, his Oklahoma City team, he was up 3-1, lost to Golden State, and he joins that team. I mean, I've, I've always said this would have been like Jordan joining the Pistons in like 1990. Think about that now. And not to mention this Golden State team, they had already won a title and they had just won 73 games in the regular season. And then he has the audacity to act shocked that people didn't like that move or use those talking points. Like, come on, man. 
And to be honest, in a weird way, his decision then to leave Golden State makes me respect his initial decision even less. Because on some level, if Kevin Durant were to be sitting across from me and just say, listen, man, I love the way Golden State plays. I love their unselfish culture. Steph is just so much fun to play with. Draymond, his competitive spirit. Clay is just such an, a selfless superstar. I want to win. Ultimately, it's all about winning. Like, I could go like, yeah, I mean, I may not like it, but I, like, I, I, I understand. I can understand that. The basketball side of it, I can understand. But here's the thing. Wouldn't all those things still apply to the decision now? Like, the reason you went to Golden State, if that's what it was, which I just laid out, which is what he said it was, like, then why leave? I mean, wouldn't all those things still apply to the decision now? Apparently not. He's even been, Duran has even been quoted in saying that champion, winning championships aren't his top priority now. He said, quote, once I won a championship with the Golden State Warriors, I realized, like, my view on the game is really about development. Like, how good can I be? It's not about, you know, let's go get the, this championship. I appreciate that stuff, and I want to win to experience that stuff, but it's not the end-all, be-all of why I play the game. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's a huge uh, – for me, that reading that quote's a huge turnoff. You're not – you're – Goal isn't to win? What? So I don't, I'll get off my to rant. I just I really I don't really like those three dudes. Again, respect their talents. Incredible players. Just not a huge. I just don't. I have a hard time liking those three guys. And now they're all on the same team. But I, but I find Brooklyn to be fascinating because of the fact that you know basketball is a chemistry sport and experience matters on a variety of levels and those three guys Harden, Kyrie, Durant they had only played together for eight total regular season games before the playoffs started eight so how will they fare in the playoffs after this Boston series and listen Steve Nash he's never coached before never been a head coach before so it's going to be really interesting to see how all that unfolds. Now, they might be so freaking talented that it doesn't matter, right? But we thought that would be the case for the Miami Heat when LeBron joined Wade and Bosch, but they lost that first year to Dallas in 2011. Right? We were all saying, who's going to touch them? Well, Dallas did because they didn't have the chemistry. They didn't have all that right. When we thought that about, remember the 4 Lakers? Shaq, Kobe, Peyton, Carl Malone, all this stuff. Like, man, loaded, right? They lost. They lost to the Pistons. So it'll be really interesting to see how, how they look when shit gets real in the playoffs, right? It'll be interesting to see what they look like. Speaking of Kyrie, next topic. He was at the center of another unfortunate fan moment over the last few weeks. I mean, he've had like a four or five of them now. Kyrie Irving had a water bottle thrown at him as he was walking off the floor of the Boston Garden. Yikes. We've also had Trey Young spit on at Madison Square Garden. Russell Westbrook had popcorn dumped on him in Philly. John Morant's family got verbally harassed and abused in Utah. I mean, hell, even last night, a freaking fan run under the, ran under the court in the, in the Sixers-Wizards game. All not good. In particular, the spitting, water bottle throw, and popcorn dump. Not good at all. In the NBA and these franchises, have, you know, they've taken swift action both legally and then banning the culprits from future events. 
the dude that threw the water bottle at Kyrie Irving is facing felony charges. And this has sparked a lot of conversations about fan behavior and all that stuff. I mean, there's so many different ways to go with this. I've, I've never understood why you, why certain people think buying a ticket buys you the right to disrespect, right? Like some people think like I paid for this ticket. Now that grants me the green light to act how I want to act. Well, no, that's not, that's, that's not true. But I think Bill Simmons put it best in his thoughts on all this stuff that this is, this is really a larger conversation about human behavior in general. Like there has just been this erosion and deterioration of how we treat each other in society now. And I think social media has a lot to do with it. I think social media has thrown gasoline on all this stuff. I mean, I, I think one of, the, one of the most interesting questions to ponder is like, have we always been assholes and social media just exposed it? Or did social media create a bunch of assholes? I don't know. I guess you and your friends can discuss that. I think it's probably a little bit of both. But I think Twitter and Facebook, they're just awful places in terms of treating people with respect and decency. I mean, there's terrible places with that. And again, not to get too too soapboxy or preachy here, but I think social media does this, and politicians in our political world do this extremely well. And you see it now kind of spilling over into into sports lately. They dehumanize the other side. They dehumanize the opposition. And when someone or something or a group of people gets dehumanized, it gets a whole lot easier to treat them with zero respect and say and do nasty things to them. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. Everybody that knows my athletic background, you know, as a quarterback in high school. But you know I believe in establishing the run game. And even more than that, I believe in establishing the Runza game. That's an original Runza cheeseburger some onion rings, double dipped in a homemade batter, a little bit of a pop to top it off. You know, in football, you establish a run. But at lunch, you establish the runza. It's just that simple. So get out to runza today and establish the runza game or check out the delicious salads. You got the chicken bacon ranch salad, sweet berry chicken salad, and my personal favorite, the Southwest chicken salad. You got to get out to runza, establish a runza game. Or get a salad. Either way, you are going to leave satisfied. Runza makes it all better. I'm just a small, 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 small public figure. In kind of Lincoln and Omaha. Extremely small. And some of the shit that gets tweeted at me or used to get emailed to me when I was doing radio was just incredible. Just incredible. Times that by a million with someone like Russell Westbrook. I couldn't imagine what these NBA players deal with on social media. I couldn't, I couldn't, I, it's, and listen, does that come with the territory? I, I suppose to a certain extent, but like, I don't know why anybody, just because you're a celebrity, you forego your right to be treated with respect or something like that. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sign off on that. But I think when you're a public figure, you're putting yourself out there, you're, you know, criticism is going to come your way. But there's a difference between criticism and a lack of respect. And some of it is, I guess, kind of spilled over into real life at these games. Twitter has just provided a platform for, pe- for people to say things to other people that they would never say to them in real life. 
They just wouldn't. I mean, just never would say that to them. Because there's this disconnect on social media that there's a real person with real feelings on the other side of that Twitter handle that you're tweeting at. So I completely echo what Bill Simmons was saying about all this. There, there's just been this erosion of treating of how we treat each other and treating people with respect that is sad and, and scary, frankly. Just a, a behavior element with society now. We see it online. We see it in everyday life. So I guess in some ways it, sh- we sh- it shouldn't be that surprising that it shows up at sporting events, but it's just awful. To dump popcorn on Russell Westbrook, spit on Trey Young, Throw a water bottle at Kyrie Irving. I mean, it's embarrassing. Completely embarrassing and sad. We all got to do better. All of us. couple more things. So right before I was going to record this, I was, I was scrolling through Twitter, and I stumbled onto a quote from LaMarcus Aldridge, NBA star who had recently retired. And uh, the quote, was I'm still trying to find myself when you go from doing something you love for so long and you lose it overnight, it's a shock. And then it's kind of, it links to a story about Aldridge opening up with depression after retirement. I can, uh, I read that and it kind of just hit me. I even had a tweet about it. Like I can completely relate to that. When I was, when I was done playing college basketball in 2008, I had a really hard time saying goodbye to Nick Baugh, the basketball player. It was hard. And I think almost every single athlete, regardless of level, NBA, college, has a hard time with retiring or being done. It's rare that I talk to a former player who had no issues with being done. I think, at least for me, and I'd imagine most former athletes can relate to this, what made it hard for me was my identity was tied to basketball. That's not to say I didn't have anything else to me as a person, but the lion's share of my identity was centered around being a basketball player. When I was done, and I'd imagine Aldridge feels the same way, when I was done, it was a shock to my system because everything I did, every decision I made, everything I thought about was centered around basketball and becoming a better basketball player. Like everything, my day-to-day habits, my goals, my what fueled me, what drove me, what I ate, what my plans were, were all centered around one thing, basketball. And when in an instant that is taken away, just like that, all of a sudden, you're this person whose identity is gone and everything you centered your life around is gone. So you're literally lost. And I know this all sounds overly dramatic, but it's kind of the truth. It's almost like this part of you dies and you have to then figure out who this new version of yourself is. And that is scary, that is scary and that is challenging. So seeing LaMarcus Aldridge's post just kind of hit me today. I was like, man, I know I can relate to it. And I think most former athletes listening to this can as well. Last, last thing, as I'm kind of going like, I guess I'm getting deep on different things here. 
so it's it's weird. I'm usually I'm I'm kind of sometimes anti how TV and and movies have gone the 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 route of rebooting the past instead of thinking up new content. That's kind of been like the thing now. But I got to tell you, I've really enjoyed binge watching Cobra Kai on Netflix. I've I've just it's been a joy. I stumbled onto Karate Kid a few weeks ago on AMC and just got sucked in. Watched it from start to finish. My wife numerous times walked past me in the TV. She was like, are you seriously going to rewatch all of the Karate Kid? I was like, I am. I am. This is what I've chosen to do today. So to watch Karate Kid and then go headfirst into Cobra Kai has just been a blast. And, you know, the story picks up about 20 to 25 years later after the epic Johnny Lawrence, Daniel LaRusso, All-Valley Karate Tournament Finals with Daniel Sun's kick to beat Johnny. And you kind of see where both guys are at in their lives 25 years later. And and for those that haven't watched it, I won't spoil it. But I've got some kind of like big picture takeaways. Again, why am I so, I'm like soapboxy and preachy and deep today. What's my problem? Maybe it's because of my anniversary. I'm a little emotional. Maybe having a cold for a couple of days has me emotional too. But watching Cobra Kai, I kind of, I think there are kind of three big takeaways in watching it. The first one is people who were bullied or had a hard time often end up bullies. Those with kind of internal emotional scars oftentimes end up bullying others to cover up their own emotional issues. You see that with Johnny. You see that with Sensei Kreese. You see that with Hawk. These are all characters on the show. On and on. But even you think about your own life and people you knew growing up, all that stuff. Like sometimes the that that like that bully, that dude that was just kind of an a-hole in high school or whatever, like that dude probably had some shit in his past that was not good. And so to cover it all up, you put this hard exterior out and you lash out. That was kind of the first things I thought about. The second thing I thought about was the enormous impact that mentors and authority figures can have on young people, good and bad. You think about Crease created Cobra Kai, which spoiled Johnny's brain. Mr. Miyagi's way of doing things helped Daniel immensely on and on. And you think about your own life and you think about whether it's a teacher, a coach, a parent, whatever, like the, the, the people, these mentors, these authority figures and how much of an impact they have on you, good and bad. Because there's a saying they repeat all the time in the, in the show of there are no bad students, only bad teachers. Which I, I like, as part of me as I say that, I'm like, I, it's true. I also think that absolves people of personal accountability and responsibility, right? Like there gets a point where like someone can tell me, go punch that person in the face. I should know better than to go punch that person in the face. You know what I mean? Like, but I, but I understand the sentiment of what they're saying. I understand the sentiment of what that saying means. And speaking of sayings, the, the, the last big takeaway makes me think of one of my favorite sayings in life. This actually was a saying. This is a real story. This, is what I, this quote I'm about to give you was, I was asked by my old GM at, the, at 1620 The Zone at NRG Media to go speak at some, I think it was a fifth grade graduation. It might have been a sixth grade graduation. I think, I don't know. He had a, I don't know if they were doing something with the radio or this was just like a favor to a friend. But like, I literally went to an elementary school in Omaha and spoke to a bunch of elementary school students on their last day of school. And they were like, who is this guy? We just want to go home because it's summer, all that stuff, right? So I went there and I was like, what the hell am I going to tell like these 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds? And what I told them was, it's one of my favorite quotes. 
Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Honestly, it's pretty good advice. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. I thought, okay, what piece of advice would I want to give, would be, I think, valuable as I enter into that, you know, like, enter into your teenage formative years? Be careful with who you surround yourself with. The reality is if you are around four irresponsible, disrespectful idiots, chances are you're going to become the fifth irresponsible, disrespectful idiot. Conversely, if you're around four thoughtful, respectful, responsible people, chances are you're going to become the fifth respectful, responsible person. Your peer group has an enormous impact on you. And you think about Cobra Kai and you think about all that stuff. Like, who you are surrounding yourself with makes a big difference in your formative years. Hell, even when you're an adult, be careful who you're around. Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Jesus, did I get deep with Cobra Kai? What am I doing? What's wrong with me? I guess I'm in a deep mood. That's not to say, I mean, the show is actually, like, wildly hilarious at times. Like, the show is actually unbelievably cheesy and over the top. But that was kind of how the original movie was, too, right? Like, that was kind of how a lot of 80s movies were. So it's kind of a wink to the 80s. There's so many winks to the 80s. The music. Johnny Lawrence's character is just amazing to watch and absorb. So there you go, a little TV recommendation to wrap it up with some some deep thoughts from from Nick Baugh here. Jeez, apparently I'm I'm deep today, guys. I'm deep. We'll wrap it up there. Appreciate everyone supporting and listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoyed you enjoy these take a paloozas. Kind of like therapy for me in a way. I just kind of put all my thoughts on a variety of things on a paper and then verbalize them to you guys. Make sure you uh, subscribe to the podcast. Go to five star rating and a review while you're at it. And we'll see you next time on the Nick Baugh podcast. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet, great burgers, cheese Runza, delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.